Welcome to Warp Zone, a podcast on sci-fi, philosophy, religion, politics, gaming, and anything else taboo. Uh, we are starting a horror special. Uh, yay! Yeah. And to tip it off, we've got Ben, who's very sick. Yeah. yeah. So he's got. He has. He's not putting on a special horror voice. It no. is his actual sick voice. Mm. Far more nasally than usual, which is very nasal. Um, and in response, Tara is covering herself like, um, you know, one of those people that go through um, public transport with masks on. All the time. Yeah, okay, I don't want to get sick. And yeah. we're, in a, we're in the red rum room, so yeah. it's pretty small. So. Yeah, so no sharing glasses today. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I'm talking about my reading glasses. <laughs> Speaking of, I went to the opt- ophthalmologist. Op- you ophthalmologist. ophthalmologist. Mm. Yeah, but the listeners don't. Know. True. The listeners need an update that I am blind. Mm. Blinder mm. than you thought. Yeah, yeah, it turns out I need reading glasses. And the guy's like, Yeah, look, it usually happens after 40. And then he looks at me, he's like, but You're a little younger, so it happens earlier to some people. <laughs> <laughs> they like did this cover thing of, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can do that the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm still covering myself. Yeah. Um, Stay back. <laughs> it's going to be hard for the microphone. Anyway, um, yeah, so that happened. Um, we're recording this in the past. Yes. And we're recording it at the Red Rum Room. Um, I am Ben Banasik. I'm Tara Smith. Yes, we're both of the University of Sydney yes. presently. That's true. <laughs> I can't <laughs> uh, okay, alright, so what are we talking about? We're talking about objection, not objection. <coughs> no, objection with no. an A. Yeah, not to be confused with. Um, I object! Ra- yeah, Phoenix Wright, <laughs> objection. Mm. Mm. Um, so, Julia Kristeva, she's a modern thinker, um, philosopher, she's French Bulgarian, so she's French because she speaks French, but she's also Bulgarian because she's not born in France. So depending on which way side of the river you are um, determines what you view these people as. Um, I will give, I guess, a little bit of a background. So she's a Freudian psychoanalyst, um, likes Freud a lot, and she matches or mixes Freudian psychology with Lacan's theory um, of the self. Basically, what Lacan's theory is, it starts off with... Um, the cogito, so Descartes, you know, hanging out, I think, therefore I am. Um, For Lacan, he says, well, that happens because there is a splitting of the self, and it happens during the mirror stage, and it's the first time a being, human being normally, will go past the mirror, realise that themselves is restricted to the body in which they are, whereas previously they had... Um, unique openness, you know, so um, wholeness almost, um, and you know you're not restricted by this this body, but when you look at the mirror, you get shaken, and that splits your personality, and so you have this internal voice then, and then what you view as yourself. So my cat gets that when he sees himself in the mirror. <laughs> well, does he? <laughs> yeah, well, cats yeah. do it as well, don't they? Like they they get freaked out by the mirror, and like sometimes you think animals can recognise it as a reflection. Don't yeah, you? I don't think they recognise it's a reflection. You don't think so? No. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not. I don't know. I haven't done the psychology of a being as in an animal being as much as as human beings. Um, so Lacan's theory centers on the small other, which is the constructed self, and the big other, which is the unconstructed, which is the pre-ego it. 
Okay, so you can see that there's these connections with Freudian theory and then Lacan's theory. Mm -hmm. Now, Kristeva takes that and says, well, instead of the mirror stage actually happening at a moment and as a developmental moment, there are two aspects to um, the self, which is the small other and big other, but it's not a shaking experience, which actually happens, um, you know, as a development. There is just the existence of these two things at all times. Um, and when we are shaken and we realize things um, or we are shocked by things, it's almost like an unlocking that we are realizing um, the constructed self, the small other, is realizing the existence of the big other in ourselves. Uh, that's basically what where her background is. Yeah, and we did mm. a reading. We did a reading, yes. What was the reading? I can't remember. I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> Approaching objection in the powers of horror. Um, most of us read page <laughs> one, <laughs> page one to thirty-one. Some of us read page one to eighteen, <laughs> which was the recommended reading anyway. So yeah. Yes. Pass for you. Yeah. Hmm. You got up to the Dostoevsky part. Yeah. Yeah, which is fine. Uh, you got most of the stuff anyway. Yes. What did you think of Kristeva? I thought I really like the concepts. I think they're really interesting because it fit in nicely with what I'd um, read on Freud's essay of the, on the uncanny and the mm. horror. That's a theme that we've, we're going to be talking a little bit more about next week. Last what? week? Next week. Next week. Yeah, yeah. Next yeah, we're doing more on, on horror. I think the I mentioned. Paul. Yes, I mm. think I mentioned um, Freud a little bit in that, and we talked okay. a bit about the uncanny. Because this is weird. We're recording this episode in the past for you all, but we're also recording next week's episode in the past for you all, but also in the past for us in the present. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, so, so so Mark, if you're listening to this, can you please draw a map? Yes, of, I want a schematic. Yeah. So this is the present for us, but in the past for you, Mark. And then this will be re released in the future, but then the future for you now is going to be also in our past, in our present. Yes. Please draw that. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so what I'm saying <laughs> is that I might be repeating myself because I think I talked a little bit about, about Freud and the uncanny and probably Lanthimos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think that that's good. But can you give um, just a background? Because I think that in me giving the, the background of, of uh, Lacan and then Freud yes. a little bit, and then where Christopher is, I think it's good to then look at what the uncanny is for Freud. Yes. And then we can look at the differences between the sure. uncanny and the objection. Yep. So Freud, Freud's theory of the uncanny <coughs> is based on a concept or almost like a spectrum of Heimlich and Unheimlich, which are two um, German words where Heimlich means homeliness and Unheimlich means the opposite of homeliness. And he believes that certain things, they live on this sort of spectrum. And when they're veering on the, on the Unheimlich, it's that... Uh, sort of looking like something that's familiar, but in a way that's horrifying. And the examples he uses are things like uh, losing a tooth as a child, like when a part of your body is removed. So it's sort of, it's it's common and it makes it... Oh, no, this is my example, actually. Sorry. Yeah, this is an example I used in an essay I wrote on this. So I think he looks at losing an eye or having things in your eyes is one of his examples. And I think a tooth is sort of similar because when you lose a tooth, it's a part of your body that should be there that's removed. And as a child, it's quite a horrifying experience. But he also uses examples of the doppelganger. Mm -hmm. uh, so having like a, a sort of... Um, a direct image of yourself that's evil is, is very like is one of these examples so sort of similar but different um some of the i'm trying to think of other examples but the idea being that 
it's something that is familiar but in put in a, a new form which is horrifying and, and removed far removed from yourself but still has that resemblance of something that you once recognized like a doll mm. like a doll that, that suddenly becomes animated and automate i think he uses automation uh, autotrons or like you know like automata as mm. an example as well because you don't expect <coughs> them to to move Mm. They should be dolls. They should be lifelike. But then when they move, it's quite horrifying. But it's also a bit d- dated. So I'd, I'm sure Freud now would have different examples that he might use mm. um, with technology and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yes, this is his sort of theory. Um, and he goes through heaps of examples and, and sort of st- and a particular story. I can't remember the top of my head about this doll that becomes automated and, and, and it's really spooky and stuff like that. So that's sort of his premise. It's mm. interesting. Yeah. Um, I wonder, because I haven't read Freud in depth in that regard, but I wonder if he talks about um, Ultima um, beings in Judaism, because he's Jewish, so he might be aware of some of the, mm. the stories of, of um, you know, bringing mud men from, from the ground and constructing things and stuff, which is interesting. Anyway, um, okay, so Kristeva's getting that point, but then she's more interested in the mundane things and how that can shake us. And she uses food as an example. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I really love this quote, and I'm going to try and read it if you like. Yep. So this is on page two, and it goes to um, midway through page three. I'm going to skip a little section, but I think that this really gets gets her point. So loathing an item of food, a piece of filth, waste or dung, the spasms and vomiting protect me. When the eyes see or the lips touch the skin on the surface of the milk, harmless, thin as a sheet of cigarette paper, pitiful as a nail paring, I experience a gagging sensation, and still further down, spasms in the stomach, the belly, and all the organs shrivel up the body, provoke tears and bile, increase heartbeat, cause forehead and hands to perspire, along with a sight clouding dizziness, Nausea makes me balk at the milk cream, separates me from the mother and father who proffer it. I, in inverted commas, I want none of that element. Sign of their desire. I do not want to listen. I do not want to assimilate it. I expel it. But since the food is not on an other to me, who am, a, a, who am only in their desire? I expel myself. I spit myself out. I object myself within the same motion through which I claim to establish myself. During that course, which I become, I give birth to myself amid the violence of sobs, of vomit, mute protest of the symptom, shattering violence of the convulsion that, to be sure, is inscribed in the symbiotic system, but in which, without either wanting or being able to become integrated in order to answer to it, it reacts, it abracts, it objects. Yes. She's such a good writer. She's a good that's writer. so good. Um, it's very and that's um, all, emotive. Yeah. And that's all about milk, the surface <laughs> of milk. Yeah. And, you know, that, that layer, which is quite, you know, shaking and, yeah. and gross. I was talking about this to um, my father's girlfriend uh, two days ago mm. about things that she's afraid of. And she's she said something about... What's she afraid of? Sna- oh, my dad, like, s- snakes. Terrified of snakes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrified. And I said, oh, yeah, I held a snake at the store. You know, someone had a pet snake and brought it in. 
I thought was kind of cool, so I held a snake. You know, it's not going to bite me. Saw its little head, it's tiny, mm. little carpet snake thing. Um, and he was like horrified if I did that. But then, if you talk to me about, um, so I don't know if I've shared this, but I'm terrified about cicadas. Yeah. Live cicadas, so. <laughs> yeah. So they, dead cicadas are fine, or shells of cicadas are okay. Live cicadas, not freaked out. Mm-hmm. But what I find here is interesting is she's talking about something that's mundane. You know, the cream of the milk has no harmful elements to humans at all. Mm. It's just, you know, because the milk has not been separated from mm. the other. Um, My understanding is because it's living on that liminal space between being something nutritious and being something that is, um, you know, poisonous or could make you sick. And that's the thing. Or well, maybe more like decaying food. And she has no concept of that. This is her as a child. So this is something that has just shaken. Mm, but when she goes further and explains it, she says that she, when she's unpacking it, that, yeah. that, that it's because these things are living in liminal space. It's like a corpse kind of living, kind of dead. Yeah. But at this stage, yeah, she might not have realised that. Yeah. That's my understanding. Yeah, yeah. So she's trying to justify it there. But I think that she's talking a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, the difference between sacred and profane um, mm. and, and that space of, of transition between the two. Yes. And that's a dangerous space. Um, but they're, they're, regardless, it is a mundane thing, and that feeling she she calls objection, um, and it's something that that shakes her and constantly shocks her. So it's horror, not in the the element of not being, you know, it's not like scares or you know watching screen movies. No. And I know we started with psycho theme yeah. at the beginning of the year because it is a horror theme, um, but it's being horrified about the mundane. Um, and then that's showing that there is this internal self. Yes. Almost. And there's also that element, so it's this, that, that othering that people are doing as well. It, it creates, helps create an identity. And she gives the examples of, of like murderers that, you know, when you find out that they've calculated things that to, to sort of, and, you know, plan premeditated murders and stuff is, is particularly horrifying because it's like they've planned it. And, mm. and she says that, um, it, we distance ourselves from that person. So we say, oh, I'm not like that murder you know and it's a way of also creating a sense of identity mm, i think mm. that's quite interesting as well yeah um i think it's interesting how she talks i don't know if it's in this chapter or if it's later she talks about how society deals with these sort of things mm. and there's two main ways it's either art or religion yeah um so through art you've got things like <coughs> um Marco de Sade, um or um have you read Marco de Sade at all mm-hmm. The, the Tales of Sodom. It's a terrible book. No. It was, it's really bad. Um, I read it and I read it on the train and someone saw the the binding of, you know, because I didn't have a cover on it, mm-hmm. but you know how it says the name on the yeah. spine of the book? And I remember actually covering that <laughs> because I was so embarrassed if someone knew that I was reading Marco de Sade because yeah. it's all about um, Sodom, sodomy, like mm-hmm. um, this group of guys that are just pushing the extremes of sexual acts with... Um, women, men, and each other. Consensually? Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's pushing it further and further and further. So it's using, you know, um, excrement, bile. It's, right. Yeah. It gets, like, extreme. It's mm-hmm. really extreme. Why would you read that? I was challenged to read it by a friend <laughs> of mine. But because this guy wrote it in prison about um, sodomy, and it was... Uh, he was thrown in, in jail for his writing. 
So it's about banned books, and that's something I'm interested in. Mm. You know, banned books and what the where the extremes yeah, yeah. of of freedom of information is. And I would always say, no, there should be freedom of information. And then I was challenged and given this book, and I said, okay, well, freedom of information. Would you think this is okay? And I read it, and I'm like, geez. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, the other one is Her- Hieronymus Bosch, whose paintings are about hell. Mm. You know, and you you see them in the art galleries and you think, oh yeah, it's like a picture and it's, yeah, it's hell. And you look really close and you can see like women and men being torn apart mm. whilst they're being raped. I think I've seen they're really detailed. Really yeah, detailed. yeah, really yeah. tiny. You do chip ditches quite often, like three. Yeah, like, three, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that style. Yeah. But you're looking at it, you know, in a, in a large art gallery, massive big walls and mm. stuff. And then you like look really closely and they're really small, like yeah, painted yeah. and stuff, but really detailed. Yeah. Um, fascinating. And it looks like there's larger images in that as well, yeah. so it's more. Um, so art is one way that society may deal with objection because it actually almost desensitizes, um, you know, the the human condition hmm. in dealing with these things. But it can't deal with all things. And then the other way, uh, Christopher says, is religion, and religion um, seeks seeks to separate those aspects um, which may be harmful for humans through horror and objection um, by removing them in society themselves mm. and outlawing them. Um, so the two ways are not ideal in both regards, but both uh, are human conditions created to actually deal with these horrors and objections. Mm, and it's different for different people, obviously, as well. That's so right. it's not like we all will be here feeling objection for the same thing and the same with morality we won't mm. all think that something's immoral yeah. no and that's the problem with religion and yeah. art because they both can't cater towards everything yeah. and everyone and then it becomes the aspect of well one society may believe one thing because it's socially acceptable there and another society may believe something different mm. Uh, mm. yeah i thought it was interesting to read but sometimes a little bit hard to understand because it's just so figurative so that you know sometimes you'd be reading quite a few sentences and i was not always sure exactly what she was trying to say but i liked the emotiveness of like how much emotion she brings to her yeah i think was really interesting yeah um yeah and you know bring it into talk a bit about how it relates to ushers yeah yeah yeah. so a few weeks ago we were speaking about um um the, the the horrors that were in auschwitz and how uh, women were, were bringing their own sanctity and holiness in that space. Um, for Kristeva, she looks at the fallout of Auschwitz. You know, she's coming from the generation where she's grown up after the Holocaust. Um, now, she she doesn't she didn't live through that experience, but she certainly would know people that did live through that experience. You know, all of that generation had people that are connected to it yeah. in, in one way or another. Um, so she says, in the dark halls of the museum, that re- that is now what remains of Auschwitz. I see a heap of children's shoes or something like that, something I've already seen elsewhere, under a Christmas tree, for, for instance. Dolls, I believe. The objection of the Nazi crime reaches its apex when, when death, which in any case kills me, interferes with that. In my living universe, is supposed to save me from death. 
childhood science, amongst other things. Mm, and this to me is quite similar to the uncanny because it's taking something familiar like mm. shoes and and the positive things of childhood, and then putting it in a different setting with all the history of you know Nazi Germany, yeah. and completely changing the the meaning and creating this sense of, of, of horror. Because there's nothing horrifying about the shoes, but in the context of this setting, it is. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But where the the nuance is that um, Christopher is doing is she's doing it with the knowledge of Lacan as well, and Lacan mm. with the separation of the so the ego and the id, I think she's recognising, but she's, she's not using those terms in, in this yep. section that we read anyway. Yep. Um, for her, that's not the point. The point is that we are a whole being and a whole human, and we have these different elements inside ourselves, and that shaking from that initial reading um, is a relation to something that is behind. Mm, I um, think there's also an aspect of, of not connecting it with reality. She talks about how like the things that we can't understand, that we don't can't comprehend, and it splits our idea of what is fair or reality or what we expect, and that mm. also creates that feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot to it. Like it's hard to fully like condense it into just a few a few things. But I I quite liked the like what she brings to the, the thing and what to the conversation on uncanny and abject and I mean there's so many films I've seen that that I think kind of really walk this fine line between you know taking things that familiar like I showed you a scene in um, Killing of a Sacred Deer which is Yorgos yep. I think it's his second last film that he just produced where. It, it, the, the main character's eating pasta and he, the way he's just putting the fork in and the, the sound's really loud. He's like mixing around eating and he has pasta all around his mouth and the way he talks and chews at the same time and he's talking about some pretty horrific things that happened to him in the past but with like a sense of ease about it. Like it's really unnerving and that mm. whole film from the beginning to the end I felt uncomfortable constantly. There was no respite because sometimes Yorgos will throw in some so in The Favourite and in um, Lobster there's some comedic elements that thrown in. Same with Doctor It's a little bit funny mm. in a kind of horrifying way. But this film just is so unsettling. So the premise is that a boy's father is killed by a surgeon on the operating table because the surgeon went and did the surgery drunk. Mm. And then um, the boy says gets revenge. He has this power where he make, makes the children slowly lose ability to walk. Blood comes out of their eyes and they'll die unless the father decides to kill one member of his family. So the whole family has to decide who he wants to kill, his wow. son, daughter, or wife, basically. Wow. And then the kids start coming up to him and being like, please, Papa, you can take me and kill me, but don't you're trying to manipulate him to choose who to kill. And it's mm. like horrible. And then they start to lose their limbs, so they'll be walking, they just collapse and they can't move their limbs. And anyway, the, just the film, something about it, I don't know. And I feel like it, that sense of like losing mobility and somebody having this power over you where you know knowing that you're about to die is, is, is very unnerving and and Yorgos manages to just really hit the nail on the head mm. and the only other director I think that does it as well is Darren Aronofsky have you seen Requiem for a Dream yes yeah all those cut scenes of the that taking the drugs and the zooms mm. up and the you know and and that final scene it's like one of I know we talked about the bait we'll talk about the baby scene in um train spotting yeah but don't you think the final scene in, in um don't, don't make me describe it. it. Don't make me describe it. What happened? Oh my god. I can't remember. Trigger warning. This is really, really um explicit. Um, the I think it's the main female character is doing like back to back anal in like a fight, like in a pit. She's like having sex backwards. Like it's like. Is she? Yes. I didn't want to have to explain this. It's been like four years since. But that's the final scene. Like wow. it's horrible. That's mm. one of the scenes. Like when you talk about baby scene, that scene's like so so 
disgusting. Like, mm. that's one that stays with me. And I think, in you haven't seen Mother, have you? No. So Daniel's film Mother had a lot of critique, but there's like a, a, a again, trigger warning, baby, baby shredding scene. Fucking one of the worst things I've ever seen. Wow. It's like, like these films, like, I don't know, like, there's horror and then there's, like, that stuff just so bizarre. Like, yeah. it, it totally shatters you. I think children, babies in harm, babies getting hurt. Is yeah, totally. That totally and I, I think that that's a common thing across all people. But what uh, what about mundane things? Are you terrified of anything mundane? Barnacles. Not a big fan. Really? <laughs> yes. When I was... Um, really? Barnacles? Yeah, when I was about 16, I did some work experience with uh, Seabird Rescue in Ballina, and we had a lot of turtles <laughs> coming in. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of yeah. turtles, sea turtles coming in, and yeah. they had barnacles, but some of the barnacles were drilled so far into their bodies that, like, they would drill into the shell, and they would be in their face, so that one that once they'd been recovering, they, they were so covered with barnacles, they'd float up to the top mm. and not be able to go down, they'd die, basically. So, but once the barnacles, the way that they would, like, kind of... I could hear them clicking like when they were up on the surface, and then when you'd remove them, you could see that they've spiraled down into the shell, mm. bored in. Something about that just uh-huh. made me feel so queasy. So even though now when I'm seeing um, barnacles, they just make me feel disgusted. Like that. Hmm. I don't know why. That's one of the things that makes me feel a bit heebie-jeebies. But I was thinking about the food and meat. When I smell meat, so meat shouldn't make me feel grossed out because, yeah. I mean, it's food. It's like any other food. But something, because I've been vegetarian my whole life and I associate it now with so much negative things, I smell it and I feel repulsed. Like yeah. I go, ugh, yuck. You know, but it's not like a biological reason. I should find it fine. Yeah. But because yeah. I associate it with death and carnage and murder, it smells disgusting to me. Even cooked mm. meat. So... I think I can relate on that level too. It's interesting. Is there any foods that you smell or taste that you don't like? Um, cauliflower. <laughs> yeah, but it's not that kind of abject disgust, yeah. is it? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Gag. Yeah. <laughs> cannot. I cannot stand cauliflower. My mother gave us too much cauliflower as a kid or something. I don't know, but it's horrible. It's a horrible, yeah. horrible food. What about like dead bodies? Like, have you ever seen a dead body? Yeah. I've never seen one before. Really? Oh. Uh, no, it's a lie. I've seen them before. <laughs> in um, Varanesi, I went to the um, the burning, you know, the burn oh, yeah. at the, um, the river. Mm. That was pretty disgusting because all the animals eat the flesh and like hang around, all the dogs and stuff eat, yeah. eat the bits of the skin and you can see the bones like floating in the water. That was wow. pretty disgusting. And like all the smoke and you're breathing in and knowing that it's human, human yeah. and everyone's just fine. <laughs> it smells like pork. Yeah, that was gross. Mm. So, but I didn't feel that. Like I didn't feel removed. Like I didn't feel the sense of objection. I felt. No. Yeah. So that's and that's the point that there's shocking experiences. Yes. But then there's these little things, you know, like the surface of the milk that really just shakes you, and you, yeah. you want to like gag and throw up, and you're you're like, you know, trying to get away from that, but you can't because it's just a, um, mm. uh, you know, a, a concept. Really, you're yeah. you're, you're terrified of a concept. But she talks about corpses, one of her main examples, mm. about that they're living in that space between... So you, you know that you're not that corpse, but it was once alive and That's it's right. dead. So it's living in that liminal space as being an example of that. But I, I didn't really feel feel that. But I think probably because it was contextual. So I knew mm. I was walking there, I knew what to expect. I knew that they burned bodies in India. Yeah. And um, there were people there, it was a morning, it wasn't like... It's not like I walked down the street and I saw a body on the road. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like just randomly. 
Hmm. But I think would be more shaking. Does that make sense? I think context makes yeah. a huge difference. Or if it was someone you knew that exactly. you saw one minute in the room and come no. back and then they're dead. I mean, like, has that happened to you? That someone someone's you knew been dead. Yeah. I've seen people I know die. Like did dead. you feel a sense of objection then? Not really. No. No. Hmm. no. The other thing is like bodily flaws as well. Like. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> well, that they cause objection, right? Yeah. I feel like blood, like menstrual blood, is one of the worst ones. Like, mm. people often connect that with it. And I listened to, like, a little video about it. She was saying how, like, um, Trump, when she was, when he was um, critiquing that or getting that um, journalist out, a female journalist, I can't remember her name, this was a little while ago, he said that she had blood on, like, her back of her dress. Like, is that trying to conjure a sense of horror so everyone goes, ugh, she had blood on her dress. Yeah. But, like, there's nothing, she's just nothing wrong with that but yeah. people use menstruation as a, and i guess that's going back to the whole idea of purity impurity hmm. a lot of religions hmm. have that in it as well right yeah. you can't attend certain services if you're bleeding etc etc yeah. et he's um, done that before trump with yeah. referring to people having periods yeah and... it's weird isn't it it's very childish it's very odd yeah very very odd he's an odd guy hmm. odd dude i saw him at side note looking yeah. at, I'm, a, I'm part of um uh, like an arcade um, group on Facebook, yeah. so I look at people's arcade machines and you know, it's the swapping thing and stuff. Someone did a MAGA arcade, so mm-hmm. make Australia, uh, make America great again, yeah, and yeah. they had all Trump all over it. That's such a weird theme to ask someone for, like Trump all over your arcade machine. That is really weird, really bizarre. And of course, it was like really American, it was the biggest screen. The biggest control panels. Everything was massive. The, <laughs> the thing. biggest like, control. Yeah, like, <laughs> it has, big- has to be the best. Has to be the biggest. You know, it's like the SUVs. You know, they yeah. have to be the biggest. Why? Because I wanted to go down and get the biggest containers of Nutella. And, yeah. Yeah. I think also because I showed you this scene. So one of the, Darren Oski's earliest films. I think he produced it in like 1991. Hmm. Is this film called Pie, which is like a oh, kind yeah. of a horror. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen Pie. Oh, yeah. Did I tell you to watch it? Have no. you already seen it? No, I saw it before I knew you. Yeah, but that's a very unnerving film. Like all this mm. constant scenes of like brains and ants and ants through computers and ants yeah. infesting everything. And that scene where he's, I showed you where he's walking up with the brain and sticking pens in it and then feeling the pain yeah. in his head. It's and then, about then that. and there's like like being hit by a train, but he's just on the platform. Yeah. So it's like this this smashing sensation of as soon as you you like pierce the brain, and it's got like that. Um, that skinny the skin element mm. to it and it just it pulsates through and then that's the smash of the train that that yeah I yeah. find in general self-harm like watching actors in films mm. hurt themselves really hard to watch mm. like in Dogtooth there's a scene where she knocks her tooth out of her mouth with a dumbbell yeah. smiling the whole time blood pouring out her face but you see it through the reflection in the mirror it's just so unnerving mm. like and like that force of like just constantly bashing your own face you know it just feels like oh my god yeah. I don't know why Darinovsky, I mean, sorry, why Lanthimos, like, he really likes to play around with these scenes. I don't know whether it's like this Greek diaspora coming through or like <laughs> why he feels the need to make it so spooky. I don't know. But I mean, like, I mean, there's there's plays and things in, in Greek religion, Greek myth that are being kind of as gory. Like, think of how much cannibalism there is in Greek myth yeah. and, and ripping apart children, like, all the yeah. Dionysian orgies of back then where they would rip open you know yeah. he'd promote people to rip their children apart yeah. and stuff like that like, what's, his um, what's his name unchained something unchained. oh um the the uh, tarantino film is it no, Django? No, no, no. Django unchained 
No, no. It's, oh, okay, that's, no well, that's a, a thing taken from that. Um, or maybe it's not taken from that. Um, she really prepared that part. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Thyestes, so there's Seneca, and then I think Aeschylus does um, a version of Thyestes and Atreus, you know, preparing their children and making them eat them as a theme. It's pretty yeah. horrific. Mm. Yeah. I used to not be able to see people piercing needles into their skin. Oh, yeah. It's pretty gross. That would freak me out. <laughs> I was not happy. Uh... It doesn't matter. I don't know where it is. I don't know either. Hmm. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I thought it was. I thought her essay was really useful, in, especially reading it in conjunction with um, Freud's The Uncanny. Yeah. Uh, and because you're such a Freud fan, it makes sense you build on that. Um, do you feel like... Do Prometheus. Ah, feel... oh, yes. He's changed the entire play. Yes. And being, like, whipped and stuff and tortured. And yeah. That's that's just the play of him hanging out on a chain, mm-hmm. um, this poor actor, and just being smashed constantly and having mm-hmm. to act that whole time. Yeah. Mm. I was going to ask you something. Um... Because he gave humans free will. Yeah. Oh yeah, mirrors. Do you feel freaked out looking in the mirror, like Lacan, like do, like that kind of weird thing? It's like spooky. Not really. I think a, a lot of my um, view of myself and seeing myself and listening to myself on pods and stuff changed um, once I was in politics. In what I sort way? of forced myself to do it, like because I created my whole campaign. I didn't do it. Um, with a campaign team or anything like that. Mm. I designed all my flyers, everything. So I was staring at my face for ages, you know, designing the poster and then designing the websites and doing all of that stuff. And you then, had to really end up liking yourself more. I, I had to sell it, yeah. So I made myself a commodity that way, mm. almost. Um, so then it it ceased to be that, you know, not liking to look in the mirror or whatever. Mm. But I can understand that feeling. No, I, I feel uncomfortable. I don't like to look in the mirror often. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't have a mirror in my bedroom. I have one mirror in the bathroom. I don't use to brush my teeth, but I don't look in the mirror before I go out. Mm. Is Red Rum still written on it? <laughs> no, I got rid of that. <laughs> Tara, like, context. Tara had a, a, a get-together get for um, Halloween, Halloween, and there was a Red Rum drawn on the mirror, which is <laughs> quite funny. Yeah. Um, mm. But, yeah, no, I find mirrors... And reflections and stuff not my favorite thing to look at but not because i find it spooky but it's because i don't like looking at myself very much just in general mm. <laughs> tom doesn't look in the mirror either like you know people you know in movies people just spend a lot of time looking in the mirror like psyching themselves up or like practicing speeches. i don't think anyone does that does anyone do that no i don't think anyone does that <laughs> outside I think of they, films yeah i think they just get ready and then that's it like yeah. You're spending as little time as possible in the bathroom and then just going to get shit done. Yeah. No one does that. I think women often spend the quite a bit of time from the mirror, I've heard. Yeah? <laughs> Putting makeup on and stuff. Oh, okay. Apparently. Yeah. According, yeah. Does cool. Jodie spend much time in the front of the mirror? Uh, well, in sometimes in the mornings it feels like a long time if you, you have to go to the bathroom. bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, it's probably not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Have we got anything else to <laughs> Don't think so. I don't know. Um, it might be a short one. You always say that. <laughs> it's like an hour later. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I think it's it's a unique way of looking at the difference between the internal self and the external self and particularly focusing on that, that aspect of horror and yeah. shaking. I think I fully understand it. I think I understand the aspects of it. I mean, like, I'm trying to think what aspect I understand. 
Well, exactly how it's different to Freud's theory of the uncanny. Well, Freud doesn't see that and connect it to um, internal, external, other, or ego, id. Mm. For him, it'll all be in the id. Yeah. So, so it's, it's more to do with the splitting of... What does that mm. mean? Like So Lacan, mirror, you don't understand the mirror yeah, theory, so that's the shaking experience. That Lacan does not agree with Freud in that way, regard. Yeah. So Kristeva's um, taking Lacan, going, okay, yeah, that could be possible. But it's not that moment exactly. Throughout your life. It's throughout, yeah. And the way that she talks about it as um, poetry. So she's a literary theorist as well. So poetry, it, ha- it happens with a rhyme, yeah? So especially children's poems. And that's talking about something that is um, internal to you and is part of all the big other or the big self. So it touches on um, the big self because it's beyond meanings. Meanings are all surface level stuff. Mm. Words are surface surface level. So where you've got a poem, it actually puts surface level and attaches it to some sort of music or um, rhythm that is part of the big other. So it connects the two of them together. But that seems to me not have nothing to do with the feeling of objection of expelling yourself out and this. That's a breaking of. So the objection is a is a breaking of of your in, um, small self realizing the existence of the big self almost, and it's just like a shit. Ah, I'm so here. what's the difference between small 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 self and your big self? Exactly. What did she? What do you mean? Well, what does so small self is your id and the other is your ego? Uh, yeah. So I'm not really familiar with these terms anyway. Yeah, so you, your small self, so Lacan, constructed self, is the small other. The big other is, or big self, is the pre-ego id. What does pre-ego id mean? Before you um, have the mirror stage, when you're thinking, oh, everything's all, you know, right, I'm okay. all in the world, yeah. I'm a toddler, yeah. Like I'm a Do whatever. Person. Yeah, whatever. And then you look in the mirror and you're ah, okay, now I realise who I am, and there's a breaking of the self. Yeah. Um, so you still have the existence of the big other and then a small other. So Kristeva um, says, no, nah, it doesn't have to happen at that shaking mm. moment. It, it's just a constant thing of these two living side by side um, or two existing side by side all the time or behind each other. So it doesn't matter. So once before you have the mirror stage, it's, it's like a formless kind of like you don't really have a sense of self, mm. right? And then when you develop that, the uh, the bigger self, and then it's the coming of the two together. So Lacan says that it's all constructed after yes. that, yeah. Um, Christeva's different. She yeah. says it's constructing throughout. Yeah, yeah. But so it's the, a split of that construction. So the the split, yeah. So the that objection. is the objection. So mm. the objection is the realization. Shouldn't think I fully point. understand it. I think I'm not very familiar with these psychoanalytic terms. Anyway, I've read Freud's essay on the uncanny. I haven't read any of his other stuff, uh, so okay. I don't really understand. The, like all ego, ego, ego yeah. exactly. Yeah, right, okay. Super ego. No. Oh, I so, mean, I've heard the terms. I understand ego in like a normal sense that everybody understands yeah. it as, but Freud's sense, not, not as much. It's all about wanting to we'll have, have sex to do... with your mother. Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, that's the other part. When she brings in, she thinks it could come from uh, a lack of motherly love, right? She talks a bit about motherly, maternal yeah, love. That's right. And that's the difference between her and Freud massively. So she says that. Not everyone wants to bang your mother. You know, yeah. not we don't all want to sleep with our mother. Um, there is a desire for love from the mother as well, which is different. But um, yeah, and she talks about that we construct that and that creates a rift as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there is this difference that way, um, and she's she's trying to 
wrestle femininity and feminism from being anti-children as well. For her, like, women should have the choice. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with wanting children and being a mother. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a powerful thing as well. Um, and then that powerful thing relates you to the children and those children are actually empowered in that way. They are not um, constantly in anxiety because of that experience, which is what Freud does quite often. He's reading into... Um, he argues at one point that all... Uh, he, he later changes it, but all psychoses are due to the Oedipus complex. Everything. Yeah. Everything is in relation to you know the father or the mother. Uh, which is just not true. Mm. And it took someone in his own family um, to develop psychosis for him to say, oh, well, no, that can't be the case. He, that she was not um, raped by her father. I know that, definitely. Right. And then he changes his mind. Jeez. Yeah. I know Freud's got some issues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has some issues. So I, I unapologetically sit on the Jungian side, not the Freudian yeah. side. Um, but I think what Freud did in arguing, um, you know, the difference between ego and id um, was seminal for Jung's theories yeah. and is useful that way. And it leads to thinkers um, uniquely engaging with um, phenomenology like Chris Deva and how she does it. And I think that that's the innovation, which is, is useful and it's good. Yeah, mm. that makes sense. No, I, I like... I like the essay on okay, but any time it gets too far into like mom and dad stuff, gets loses me a little bit. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that will be it. Uh, id. 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 <laughs> id will id you adieu. Bye. Oh yeah, we're gonna leave with um the cl- one of the one of my favorite scenes from Lobster, a hunting scene where it's in slow motion, people are running, and the anyway the whole score in Lobster, the film score in all of um. Lanthimos's films are amazing, so enjoy. Enjoy the theme tune. See you. Bye. Bye.
Τώρα που άλλαξε η καρδιά σου κι έναν άλλο αγαπά Απορείς μου λένε ακόμα η δική μου πως χτυπά Μήπως τα χάσαν και εμένα δεν είναι άνθρωποι πολλοί Από μέσα πεθαμένοι και από ξαζωντανοί Από μέσα πεθαμένοι 